Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Tuesday, the 29th of August, and my name is Helen Freer. On today's show, I'll be talking about the latest market news with my colleague, John T. Warris, and I'm also joined by our chief economist, David Cole, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him and getting his thoughts on what was said at the Jackson Hole Symposium at the end of last week. But let's start with the market news. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Helen. Yesterday was a fairly light day in terms of data releases, but we did see Eurozone money supply data. What can you tell us there? Yes, that's right. Yesterday, we saw data out showing that growth in lending to Eurozone companies slowed again in July, adding to already mounting evidence that the sharply higher interest rates are putting a break on credit creation and economic growth. Data showed that lending to firms in the Eurozone expanded by 2.2% year-on-year following a 3% uh, in June, according to an ECB report. The M3 measure of money supply, which is seen in the past as a good indicator of future economic expansion, shrank by 0.4% in July, with economic growth indicators now pointing to a contraction in the third quarter, despite what could be a record-breaking tourism season in Europe this summer. The weak data is intensifying debate over just how much more the ECB needs to do here. And staying on the topic of economic data, figures released last week showed that German GDP stagnated in Q2, unchanged from the previous quarter. We've just seen German consumer confidence figures come out this morning. What do they tell us about the state of the German economy? That's right. Um, GFK's consumer sentiment survey data from Germany, which has just been released, shows that consumer confidence uh, is expected to worsen in September, coming in at a negative 25.5, down from minus 24.6 for August. The uh, forward-looking sentiment was forecast to rise, so this comes as a less encouraging sign for households in Europe's powerhouse. And I see UK inflation is in the headlines once again, but this time it seems to be showing more positive signs than it has done lately. Yes, well, following a bank holiday in the UK yesterday, new data for August shows that food inflation in the UK cooled to its lowest level in almost a year. And this will no doubt come as a relief for the Bank of England and could take off some of the pressure for the central bank's case to raise interest rates further still. Uh, The British Retail Consultant Consortium said that shop price inflation fell sharply again to 6.9% in August from 7.6% in July. This means that prices are still rising much faster than the Bank of England's 2% target, of course, but there are hopes that the slowing in the pace of rises is a sign that UK households may soon be over the worst of the sharp squeeze. Okay, sounds like some positive news for the UK finally. Um, Let's talk now about US market action yesterday. Could you give us a roundup there, please? Sure. US equities finished higher in a rather quiet trading session yesterday with low trading volumes as investors continued to ponder the central bankers' comments at Jackson Hole last week and ahead of a series of data releases later this week. The S&P 500 index climbed 0.6% in New York, being led by telecom and tech stocks, while healthcare and utilities were among the laggards. And this strength in the IT sector saw the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 jump 0.7%, marking the first back-to-back gains for both benchmarks so far in August. That said, US stocks do remain on track to break their five-month rally on concerns in the market of a rather hawkish policy outlook, weighing on sentiment throughout August, which has proved on many fronts to be a rather difficult month. 
Investors now face a series of crucial data points this week, including the PCE price index out on Thursday, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, along with the closely watched monthly jobs report expected on Friday. In currencies, the US dollar was a little weaker versus the euro and the pound sterling, and little changed against the Japanese yen. And in fixed income, US treasuries were mostly firmer with the biggest gains in the belly of the curve. I've seen a few negative headlines out of Asia-Pacific this morning. How are markets there faring today? Well, actually, Asian equities are trading much higher in today's session so far. The Kospi and the ASX are up uh, 0.3 0.7%, while the Hang Seng is outperforming with around 2.3% uh, up move. And meanwhile, the Shenzhen Composite is flying uh, with gains of 2.7. And this comes after news that China's economic outlook actually shows no signs of improvement, with forecasters broadly trimming their expectations for growth, prices and trade, and predicting more monetary policy easing ahead. Uh, a case in point is ailing real estate developer Country Garden, which has proposed a grace period of 40 calendar days for maturing local currency bonds. And this shows the great pains that the firm is going to in an effort to avoid it defaulting on its debts. Uh, elsewhere in Asia, Japan's unemployment rate unexpectedly rose for the first time in four months in July to 2.7%. Uh, the job to applicant ratio there showed a slight decline. Well, markets appear to be taking this data in their stride at least. And what can we expect for the day ahead, Janti? Well, this morning we'll see annual GDP data out for Sweden and Czechia along with Austria's manufacturing PMI numbers. And later this afternoon, we can expect US house prices along with the latest US consumer confidence reading. And the Hungarian Central Bank will also be announcing its latest interest rate decision. Almost all companies have now reported their Q2 earnings, but a few laggards to report today include uh, Bunzel, HAL and NN Group. And a quick look at the futures board currently shows US equities set for a bright start later today with a sea of green across the board. And that's about it from me for today, Helen. Very good. Thank you very much, John T, for the roundup this morning. Thanks a lot for having me. Now, David, let's move on to you. Good morning, firstly, and welcome. Good morning, Alan. So we've talked a bit about the Jackson Hole Symposium already on this podcast, but I'm keen to get your thoughts this morning on what came out of the meetings at the end of last week. We weren't necessarily expecting to get clear guidance. I know Christian Gattica, our head of research, said last week that he wasn't expecting anyone to be particularly transparent about where monetary policy was heading. What's your take on what was said, David, and particularly Jerome Powell's speech on the Friday? Well, yes, Helen, you're right. I mean, there had been said a lot in terms of where monetary policy can go and might go. But what's uh, pretty clear, um, we think that central banks, and in particular the US uh, central bank, the Fed, wanted to tell us is that they do not pre-commit to any interest rate pass in the future. And there are at least two reasons uh, why uh, the central bank remains so open uh, in terms of if more rate cuts are necessary, or if rates stay where they are, if they stay longer where they are, it, because they simply want to be very data dependent, and they mean it. Uh, so to be data dependent, uh, by definition, you should not pre-commit as a central bank. So that's at least one reason why we get these messages uh, from Jerome Powell saying, yes, we acknowledge the economy is in a quite good shape, probably better than expected. This is definitely a hint that more tightening is necessary. At the same time, and that was probably the most dovish part of the message, uh, the uh, Fed acknowledged as well, 
um, that past interest rate hikes, which happened, which had been very aggressive, uh, that they might still have an effect on economic activity. So they are not yet have fully hit the economy uh, in terms of slowdown. That's why the economy is so good. And these, these, these time lags where there is a lot of uncertainty if they are longer, if they are shorter, um, this was for me the, the most important message to say, um, by any chance, the Fed might be also ready to wait a bit, uh, leave interest rates where they are and see uh, that past interest rates hike do the job to slow the economy and to slow inflation. So th these are these are the, the two poles uh, where, the, where the Fed is navigating. First of all, they want to be data dependent. They want to look um, if uh, the economy is reacting still to past interest rate hikes. The second um, argument, really why we think that uh, the Fed will remain probably uh, not committed to further interest rate hikes, it has more to do with financial markets. Uh, we have the impression that the Fed uh, wants to avoid to push financial markets in one or another direction. And then when data comes out differently, then financial markets have to reallocate their resources. Uh, this would create some volatility uh, when really positions have to be adjusted uh, at a very short, uh, very short time. So here what the Fed is, is basically pushing for is Allowing some uncertainty, which uh, creates then some short-term volatility in financial markets, it's definitely not a welcome development, but avoiding these big, uh, big uh, adjustments when really data are changing, when the stance of the Fed are changing. So uh, we see at least two reasons uh, why the Fed uh, is not giving uh, any guidance and have also used uh, Jackson Hole, actually, as not giving any guidance. Okay, so there's not really a clear message then, but what's your expectation now in terms of the next few Fed meetings? And what about the first rate cut? When do you see that happening? So we think we are rather in the camp that uh, some of this um, monetary policy tightening, which happened very fast and quite aggressively, will st still have some effects on economic activity. Uh, yes, we are surprised by the resilience of the U.S. economy, and particularly also interest rate sensitive sectors, for example, housing. Uh, we think uh, these effects will probably come with a lag, uh, simply because these sectors are less exposed to short-term interest rates, um, have much more duration in terms of financing. So there are plenty of reasons why to expect that economic activity probably will, towards the end of the year, beginning of next year, get a hit. Uh, when you agree with that, uh, then it's uh, probably more likely than not uh, that the Fed is done uh, with interest rate hikes, that more interest rates hikes are not necessary. Uh, also, uh, because the uh, now achieved interest rate level of uh, 5.25 to 5.5, that's the range where the Fed funds are, is actually quite restrictive. So it's a, it's a, it's a headwind for economic activity from here. Uh, therefore, we don't think uh, or we think actually that the Fed is done uh, with this rate hiking cycle. Uh, that's against some money market expectations, which recently are pointed more to another rate hike, uh, most likely in the November meeting. It, now, when it comes to rate cuts, there uh, I think uh, we shifted here really our view that rate cuts will come rather later uh, than earlier. Uh, simply because there we have to acknowledge as well the resilience of the economy and probably the fact that the economy is not so interest rate sensitive as feared or as, as expected. And uh, therefore, we think a rate cut will the earliest happen in May 2024, uh, maybe even later, 
uh, depending here really how hard the economy will be hit with higher interest rates at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, so uh, when the economy remains so resilient as it is, uh, then we would probably even adjust here this uh, this view uh, that rate cuts happen only in May 2024 with declining inflation uh, rather uh, to the later point, probably even in the second half of 2024. Okay, and let's talk about Christine Lagarde's comments as well. Um, The next ECB meeting is on the 14th of September. She also didn't give a lot away, right? Yeah. Well, for Christine Lagarde um, and the ECB, the situation is probably even more challenging uh, than for the Fed. Here, um, inflation is higher uh, in the Eurozone uh, uh, than in the US. And due to... um, yeah, less flexibility in, in price setting mechanisms, uh, it's also more persistent. So the inflation slowdown is happening uh, not as fast as in the US, and even there it's not enough. So that's definitely a challenge for the ECB and big questions marks if uh, more has to be done in terms of slowing the economy. At the same time, uh, the Eurozone economy is being affected more by, by, by slowing, slowdown in growth in China. So here's also some considerable uh, cyclical headwinds. Uh, And uh, when you look at the most recent numbers out of the Eurozone, PMI data had been uh, pretty weak, uh, not only in manufacturing, but also in the service industry. So overall in the economy, uh, we have just heard uh, money supply and lending activity also reacting forcefully actually to, to higher interest rates, even though the level is not as high and uh, therefore really it's not so much balancing here the communication, what the ECB wants to do, but they are really challenged. They are really uh, are pulled in different direction by an economy, which is slowing, definitely suggesting, oh, you, you, you have done enough in terms of interest rate hikes and an inflation rate, which is uh, definitely far away from the mandate of the ECB of the 2% target. Uh, therefore, it's, it's really a challenging situation for, for, for the ECB. We tend to lean in particularly with with the most recent numbers uh, from the lending side towards the view uh, that the ECB will acknowledge that interest rate hikes, uh, particularly at these levels, are already having a strong effect on slowing down economic activity. When you slow down economic activity, you slow down demand and you will eventually slow down also inflation. And probably to calibrate that, uh, we think the ECB would be well advised to wait uh, on the September 14th meeting when they come together. Okay, thanks a lot, David. Good to hear your thoughts on this this morning. I thank you, Helen. So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you'd like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when Bernadette will be back and she'll be speaking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German 
where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.